the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Folks, the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour is on the air. Welcome again, folks. We do this every weekend. And so pleased when you join us here on AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. I know that Pete Paquette is pleased. He's our engineer. Andrew Hertliska produces the show. And I want to introduce you to my uh, new friends, John and Alicia Ramsey. Uh, they're in Indianapolis, Indiana. John is the senior pastor of the New Life Worship Center. And um, he is the 24-2024 NBA All-Star Chapel speaker and, and singer. Uh, Ramsey's welcome. I'm so so happy to hook up with you. It's nice to visit with you. Oh, good morning. We appreciate the opportunity. Hello, Pat. It's great to be on today. Alicia, thank you so much. John, I want to hear about your uh, fascinating life, Fort Wayne, Indiana, a uh, football player at Miami University of Ohio, uh, majored in education. And how did you get into God's work, John? I, I'm, I'm very interested in this. That happened when I was in college. Um, I played football, ran track through high school, and received quite a few scholarships for either sport and uh, took a football scholarship to Miami and um, had it in Miami of Ohio. And had a great guy on the team. Uh, we're friends to this day. His name was Steve Fitzhugh. And uh, he played for Denver for a while. And uh, he was just a, such a powerful force on campus, uh, just witnessing the people. I recommitted my life to Christ when I was in, high, in college. And then that's when the call to ministry came shortly after that. Um, I'm thinking right away, <clears throat> Miami of Ohio, the cradle of coaches. What what yes, what exactly. what what a leg- legacy of of historic football coaches that came through that school. Have you ever figured out how why that was, John? You know what? I've never figured it out. But the first day I got there, they reminded you this is the cradle of coaches right here. <laughs> where did so Al- they were trying to set the standards as soon as you came in, John? Where did Alicia come into your life? Um, it was after college. I had started my first church in 92. Um, I moved here uh, from Fort Wayne, not knowing anyone. It knocked on doors until a lady came out to hear me preach. And that's basically how that first church started. And um, Lisha and I met because her her pastor and I had did a um, workshop in New Orleans together at a, at a minister's conference, a pastor's conference. And um, so he calls me about, a I don't know, maybe a month later. And he said, he said, hey, Ramsey, are you still single? I said, it's only been 30 days since I saw you. So he started talking to me about my wife and about her family in his church. And I, at first I pushed back on it. I was like, no, you know, I've, I've heard this a million times. I'm just doing what I do. I'm, I'm good. And um, he just really kept pressing me about coming down and just visiting with he and his wife and then being able to meet her. So that's what we ended up doing by the end of that week. And, and that was pretty much uh, how everything started. What do you remember, Alicia? I was about to say, Pat, he left out a lot of details. Yeah, I was trying to, I was trying to preserve right. time. I'm oh. literally like the first 90-day fiancé because there was no Facebook back then. There was no Internet back then. It was a true blind date. <laughs> I knew awesome. nothing about him. I saw no picture. So we were set up on that Friday, had the date. 
Um, he flew me back to stay with some friends that Saturday and then asked me to marry him Sunday. Now, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. I, <clears throat> I want to hear about your church in Indianapolis, John. And Alicia. Tell, tell me about it. Um, the church is uh, New Life Worship Center of Indianapolis. Uh, we've been opened uh, for 22 years. We're 22 years old now. And um, we've been blessed with a, a great campus on the northwest side of town. And then we have another campus over in the central area of Indianapolis where we do a lot of uh, a lot of outreach um, in our outreach building next to that uh, with feeding feeding the uh, families in the areas that need it and, you know, just meeting every need that we can. So that's just kind of a snapshot of who we are and what we do. But um, it's been a process and, you know, God's done some great things. Please add to that, Alicia. Well, we are blessed to be able to serve such an amazing congregation here in Indianapolis, Indiana. There are so many phenomenal churches here, and we're just one of many. Uh, as a non-denominal congregation, you can look at our congregation and see that most of them are, you know, millennials, Gen Z. You know, we have a few amazing senior saints, but we really minister to the family because uh, JR Ministries is Faith, Family, and Finances. So you will find a lot of practical teaching and preaching. We have a teen ministry. We have young adult ministry, a seniors ministry. So everything that we can do to help enrich the family. Uh, you have a reputation, John, <clears throat> of being a mentor and, and a spiritual father. Uh, what, what does that mean to you? Well, for me, it means very similar to a lot of examples that we see in the Bible, how Elijah was mentored by Elijah. And we saw the impact in that in his life once Elijah was taken uh, uh, in that chariot. And so we believe in the concept of, uh, of mentorship. I got to where I am <clears throat> because of people who poured into me, and I still feel like I got a long ways to go. But I also feel like that's a part of what God has really called me to do, uh, some mentoring of men, uh, mentoring sometimes of marriages and relationships. That's a big passion for me. It's been since day one. And, um, and mentoring pastors as well. I want you to talk about some of the writing you've done, John. Um, um, interesting books. Our latest book deals with marriage, but almost every book that I've done deals with relationships and marriage. Um, one book is called uh, One Night Stand, Avoiding the Pitfalls of Ungodly Relationships. We have another one called Marriage Before Money, another one called Smart Money Management, and the most recent one was dealing with um, was dealing with marriage mm -hmm. um, and how to maximize your marriage. How do you do that, Alicia? Quality time together and open communication. Um, he and I, we've been married uh, 20 and, 28 and a half years. It'll be 29 years in August. And communication is key for he and I. And carving out time, give you an example today. Um, we work, it's Valentine's Day. We started our day at the gym together. You know, drop, we have a son with exceptional needs. So my husband dropped him off the day center, made sure our daughter got on the bus. And just finding the time when we can. It's not always, you know, conventional time, as some people would think. Like, we're not doing a date night tonight, but we will be together as a family. Tell me about your family, yeah, John. Our date night last night. That's one of the things we did last night. You know, we, last year we started going out dinner on Valentine's the night before because the restaurants are not overcrowded and just, you know, traffic horrible and all of that. So that's that's one of the things that we did that's a little bit unique, a little bit different, but it's something that her and I enjoy. And we just try to fit important moments in our life every day. We try to do things together. We communicate really well. Um, and that's been a big foundation for everything uh, for us in this relationship. I'm interested in Indianapolis, Indiana. How do you describe that city uh, to, to folks who don't know that area? I love the city of Indianapolis. I think Indianapolis has everything you want in a big city, yet without being completely overwhelmed. I think our surrounding areas, we're around a million um, uh, people or so. And, um, you know, you got your Colts if you like football. You got your Pacers. Uh, we love both. And, um it's a great city. It's a great city to raise your family in. And like any other city, there are areas of the city that are very challenged, and those are areas that we try to put concentrated effort in. But 
uh, overall, it's a wonderful city. Your thoughts, Alicia, on Indianapolis, Indiana? Indianapolis, we have an outstanding downtown. Our central location, you know, we've traveled quite a bit over the years, but one thing about Indianapolis and downtown Indianapolis, you can walk to the Colt Stadium, you can walk to the Pacer Stadium, you can walk to the Adam George Museum, the Children's Museum, our zoo, you know, White River Gardens, tons of restaurants. There's just so many things you can do without having to rent a car. And it gives you that feel because we're right in between um, Chicago, Nashville, Atlanta, you know, 65 can take you up and down the highway. It is an excellent place to raise children. We have phenomenal school systems here. Education is my background, so I'm not just saying that. I know it and live it. It is a wonderful place to live. John, what is the spiritual temperature of, of that part of Indiana? Um, I think it's, it's very similar to other cities. I think that there's a there's a great need. I think one of the things that I think we're living in a time where uh, people have gotten really consumed and comfortable with compromise, and and I just think it has to be challenged. You know, sometimes our lifestyles got to be challenged. Sometimes the way we go about doing things has to be challenged. I think that the spirit of the city is great in terms of the efforts that are made collectively with churches and great pastors all over the city. But I also think it's a city that um, that we have to intensify our efforts, certainly in the inner city and in other areas of the, of, the, uh, of the city itself. We are visiting with John and Alicia Ramsey. Uh, John's a senior pastor of New Life Worship Center in Indianapolis. Uh, the uh, 2024 NBA All-Star Chapel speaker, and Alicia's the singer. Just a quick note on that. In 1981, the NBA All-Star Weekend was in Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, Norm Sanju was the general manager of the Dallas Mavericks at the time. I was the GM of the 76ers, and uh, Norm came to me, and we began talking about, could we have a a Sunday morning chapel service, Uh, and and would the league approve it? Well, we got the league's approval and had the first chapel service in February of 1981, 43 years ago. The speaker was Andre Thornton, uh, who at that time was the— home run hitting uh, first baseman for the Cleveland Indians. He, he spoke. The room was full. And uh, every February, All-Star Weekend since then, uh, we've, we've had this service. And uh, John and Alicia have been the ministry duo uh, for the uh, 24 All-Star Chapel in Indianapolis. We've got more with the Ramsey. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. John and Alicia Ramsey are our guests. They're in Indianapolis. John is the senior pastor of New Life Worship Center and an author as well. Uh, John, I am particularly interested in one of your books, Armed and Dangerous, Equipping Leaders for Effective Ministry. Tell me about that book. That book really is is written to be almost a manual. Um, We do a course every year. I teach this course at our church called... um, um, it, it's, it's about leadership development and ministers and training. And so um, that's a part of it. That's a part of the curriculum there for it, where we teach things like um, how to identify your call, how to know that you're called to whatever area. Um, and then also we deal a lot with ministerial ethics. What is ethical to do? What is ethical to, what is unethical to do? And really laying a foundation for principles of developing leaders and ministers. Do you think leaders are born or made? I think that, um, I think to a great degree, I think they're made. I mean, there are some people that just have, seem to have a natural instinct towards it, but I also think that there's some development that has to take place along the way. So I would say it's a combination of both. I think some are born, but I think most are developed. 
How do you view uh, John as a, a leader, Alicia? I would say that my husband is a transformational leader, and he is an authentic leader. And I say transformational because of I have seen and heard the testimonials of the impact he's made in individuals' lives because he does not compromise the Word of God. He is an expository teacher and preacher so that they can explain, that they understand how he explains it, and then they can implement it. Not just saying, you know, be a good dad, be a good father, be a good brother, be a good husband, but this is how you become a good father. This is how you become a good husband, and that is why I would say he is a, you know, a transformational and authentic leader. I'm going to give you a Bible section, John, and I want you to expand on it. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations— baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Can you expand on those verses? Yeah, one of the words that jumps out to me whenever I read that verse is that it's really the church's assignment in the earth to go into all nations. That word nations there in, in Greek is ethnos, from which we get ethnicity. So it's almost like he's emphasizing go to every culture, every creed, every every area, every region, and preach the gospel. And we, we know that that's consistent with the word and what um, and the message that Jesus had for them. So I look at that message as being powerful, but I also think about it as being um, is where you're targeting also every ethnos, every culture, every creed, every background with the gospel. The Bible can be confusing to people. Um, I, I'm uh, curious about how you advise a new Christian, for example, to get into God's Word. Uh, what's your counsel to them? I think it's a great question, and my answer would be um, to work your way up, to start where you are and build from there. I always tell our believers at the church to start in the New Testament. It's easier to understand. It's easier to interpret. Look at the different um, versions of the Bible that there are. King James, something might be easier for you. Um, it might be better for you, a different version of it versus the King James, uh, depending upon where they are. But I tell them to start there. And then also I think it's really important that when a person gives their life to Christ, that they have to follow up. They have to pursue Christ. Um, and what I mean by that is that we have foundational living classes I'm sure all churches have them. They may not be called that, but they really teach you a foundation for how you begin this life as a believer. And that's why I think that there's a there's an incredible connection between Christianity <clears throat> and church commitment, because it's hard to have one without the other. If you're connected to a church, they're going to have things to help you build that foundation. I think the most terrifying thing for a Christian, uh, John Alicia, is sharing your faith uh, with others and and uh, leading them to Christ. Why is that so terrifying to people, Alicia? Uh, what I have seen is um, individuals, especially young people, which we talk to a lot, you know, Generational Z and younger millennials, is that they don't realize that your life is a walking Bible. Mm. You know, you, the testimony comes through your actions, how you interact with people. You should have the goal of you live your life in such a way that they want to know. How do you smile in difficult times? How do you keep from exploding on the job? How do you keep from shutting down? How do you deal with hopelessness or are you ever depressed? And being ready that when they ask those questions because of the example, that you can lead them down the Romans road or you can invite them to church or you could share with them a clip from a pastor or a teaching or share with them a devotional and that will help them with the process. It is difficult for many, I don't know where to start. Be the example, and God will open up an opportunity for them to come to you, and you be prepared when the opportunity comes. John, I want to go back to uh, your writing. Mm -hmm. Smart money management, a biblical approach to financial stability. What What's the meat of that book? Um, basically, <clears throat> is understand understanding that it's hard to be spiritually free when you're financially bound and um and that there are processes and principles all of it was really founded in bible but a lot of it is, is other practical advice that we give 
and that book really emphasized the importance of understanding that when it comes to money management, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. After you give that 10% tithe, after you give that offering above and beyond that, okay, what is the plan for the rest of this 90? Um, tithing uh, brings order to my resources because God says to bring that 10% first, then that means I got to think about what's second, what's third, what's fourth, what's fifth. And so really right there, the Bible principle brings order, if you let it, to your finances as well. Tell me about the marriage book you're working on. Uh, what, 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 what would be the highlights of that book? Um, th- that book will be, I think the highlight is really understanding that, that your message, that your marriage can be maximized. And that you can reach the full potential. Excuse me for a second. Yeah. <clears throat> the focus of your next book really is a new season for us because you think about your last book. We had not been married this long. We mm-hmm. had not been in a season of having adult ch- uh, children. You yeah. know, it, we're totally in a different season as parents. We're in a totally different season. This is post-COVID. Yeah. So the life has changed now with live stream ministry. So there's so many things that have happened in our lives. Yeah. And in terms of the next book, that's going to be a book that her and I do together. Really? And it's, it's really going to be about family and how do you do it God's way in the times that we're living in. Um, one of the things that people uh, don't always get a chance to see unless they're in the situation is that um, it's a statistical fact that couples that have special need children, the divorce rate with them is 80%. Really? So uh, 80% yes. or higher. Yes, high. And, and so all of that helps us emphasize the fact that you got to be a team in this thing, whether you have a special need child or whether you don't. You got to be a team, and the communication has got to be excellent. And you got to want to partner with them, realize that it's, that life is also a partnership with them, understanding each roles, but yet respecting those at the same time. John, who are your uh, spiritual heroes in the faith, uh, men perhaps, that you've always looked up to? Um, boy, it's, I, I think it's a lot of them. Um, one of them would be uh, Bishop Joseph Walker. He's a presiding bishop of Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship International, and uh, Bishop Paul Morton. He is the founder of that. And um, and then when I look <clears throat> look back over my life, all the way back to college, I can find people who who played major roles. I look at it from this standpoint that someone might have been your Moses that helped bring you out, and then God may use another Joshua to bring you into that next season that you're in. So when I look back, I can see uh, Terrell Bird. He he was the one that gave me, Pastor Terrell Bird gave me the first opportunity to preach my very first sermon while I was in college playing football at Miami of Ohio. I think I was 20, 21 years old. And I remember little things that I learned from him um, from the entire time that I was at college with him and then um, and then going on to my church back home. So I I feel like I'm grateful because a lot of people have made deposits in my life. And that's what I want to do with others. That, that's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Uh, one of my spiritual heroes would be Dr. Tony Evans. Oh, yes. Down, oh, yeah. Down there I read in, everything you write. He, he's close. You may want to go by and see him, Pat, when you're here. He's right up in Chicago. Uh, Tony's, Tony's a long time. Oh, Texas. No, I'm thinking about the other one. I'm sorry. Who yeah, am t- I thinking about up in Chicago? Yeah, yeah Tony's in Dallas. And, um, yeah. I'm thinking of I met him many, many years ago, and he's uh, he's remained a friend to this day. Has a wonderful style and uh, uh, one of the great users of illustrations and and, and little stories. <laughs> yes, and uh, yeah, he's he's phenomenal. I I listened to him when I first got called. I listened to him and Chuck Swindoll on AM radio oh, all the time <laughs> when I was in college. Oh, yeah. Tony Evans, his daughter. I, I follow his daughter quite a bit. Yeah. I was thinking of Bill Winston. Yeah. Bill so in my mind, you yeah. said Tony Evans, and immediately I watched and listened to both of those. I was thinking of Bill Winston. And and listen, Tony's <clears throat> Tony's daughter is an absolute star in, in, yeah. in, in the yes, in the Christian world. Boy, she's she's great. Um, mm-hmm. uh, final question. Uh, do you believe, John, that the that, that the world of sports and 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 the Christian ministry uh, are compatible? That they go together? That they're a powerful force together? I absolutely do. 
I believe that there are people on every arena of life, you know, professional athletes um, that that want to know God, that want to walk with God. I used to do chapels for the Pacers years ago. Mm. And I remember Mark, Mark Jackson was on the team. Yes. And I remember whether he was healthy or whether he was nursing an injury and playing through it, um, he was in that chapel service every single time. If, I, if there was anybody I could count on being there, it was going to be Mark, and he was usually always going to bring somebody with him. And I would see him put his leg up on a chair with an ice bag on his knee before the game so he can be in there for the chapel and then go back and get warmed up and ready for the game. So I definitely think that the two are compatible. I I also believe that that um, – that professional athletes, no matter who you are, how much money you make, you have to have God in your life. Because at the end of the day, all of us are going to have to stand before him. You want to know where you stand with God before you have to stand with him. That's great. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm glad to have introduced to you my new friends, John and Alicia Ramsey. We have more here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay with us. We'll be right back here on AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. John and Alicia Ramsey, our guest in that first segment from Indianapolis, Indiana. Great visit with them. We go from Indy to uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Jeff Jarena is there, author of Family and School, A New Paradigm for Christian Education. Jeff, so nice to catch up with you. Welcome to Orlando. Pat, thank you so much. I tell you what, I wish I was in Orlando right now. I love Florida. That's my favorite state to live in, even though I live in Texas. It's my favorite state. Well, that's high praise, Jeff. We we agree. No nobody who comes to moves to Florida ever leaves. So, <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> Jeff, what's your book about? Well, this book here, the third book I've written, um, actually co-authored this book. The first two I had had written myself: um, "Faith Without Fear" and "Cut Through the Noise." This book, um, "Family and School: A New Paradigm for Christian Education," is really. Um, what we do is we address nine vital issues that parents and school leaders must consider, um, really for Christian schools, homeschoolers, and anybody that's a that's a parent, you know, Christian parent, and they're in the public school system, whatever that is. It, it really helps to um, synergize, get these ideas going, and helping parents, school leaders, teachers, administrators, coaches work together in better synergy. That's really. Um, the main focal point for this book. Uh, the meat of your book are nine questions, and I want to dive into them, Jeff. Uh, question number one, this is a checklist of questions. Question one, does your school have a corporate relationship with the Lord? Uh, what does that mean? Well, you know, a lot of times in Christian schools, Pat, there can be individual, obviously individual relationships with the Lord, family members, you know, parents, students, teachers, um, administrators. But what, what we've seen a lot of times is corporately, maybe schools will meet maybe once a semester or something like that. Um, but the corporate relationship is more of getting people together to worship God, to pray, and to um really come together as a body, um, realizing that they're in this thing together. And as a community, they should worship God together. That's really, now there's a lot more to it in that book, but that's just kind of the gist of it um, with that question. Question number two, who carries the pastoral mantle for your school community? What's that mean? Well, that is a um, that's a question that that's something that schools can look at and say, well, we have somebody that um, every now and then will say, okay, well, this is the direction spiritually that we need to go. Maybe there's a Bible class at that school or something like that that maybe they lead that. 
But really the pastoral mantle is, who is it that you have at your school that is shepherding the parents, the families, the students, the administrators? Now, that could be somebody individually, one person, or it could be a collective of individuals, maybe volunteers and maybe somebody on staff. That's the idea here about who is the, who's carrying that pastoral mantle of your school, especially if it's a Christian school, Pat. If it's a Christian school and we're not keeping Christ in the center and the forefront and we're really just focused more on education, then what we're doing here is we're not helping students be overcomers and to own their faith, especially in the culture we live in today. My guest is Jeff Jarina. The book Family and School, A New Paradigm for Christian Education. Question number three, Jeff. How are you empowering students to own their faith? Explain. Oh, man, that, that one right there, Pat, when you say that, what do, what do you think about? When you, say, when you ask that question, that is something today. When you look at school systems, whether it's a public school system or maybe it's a Christian school. Now, there's a lot of schools here that do this, okay, and, and, and they and they're do this in, in a good way. But a lot of times, administrators, and this is not to judge or to beat up on administrators, teachers, or anything, but a lot of times we can, we can look at things in a box. We get blinders on, and I don't know about you, Pat, but I love horse racing. Mm-hmm. Secretariat is the, what, the best you know, thoroughbred racehorse ever. And when a thoroughbred racehorse gets that, those blinders on, they're looking at one lane. They can't really see to the left and to the right. And so a lot of times in school, as an administrator, school leader, whatever that is, even, even parents, we can think we're going down this lane and we're, doing, we're, we're training our kids so that they can, you know, lead in this culture. But oftentimes what's happening is the culture is influencing us more than we are leading the culture. And so this idea of becoming overcomers is part of this is to own their faith and to overcome the messaging of the world and the, in, the outside external influences that maybe, maybe a lot of times are not that healthy. And in a way, will, will, will cause the student or the child to go in places or go in ways that they don't need to go. And in a way, will take them off the path that God has planned for them. Now, I want you to explain to us question four. How do you communicate value to your stakeholders? Uh, explain that to us. Man, I love that word value, Pat. And I know I know for you, you've had a lot of jobs. You were um, executive at Orlando Magic. Um, so you could probably have a lot of input to this too. I, I know that you know that you could, but the way that we see value, especially as it comes between the relationship between school leaders and parents is that value really the heart of value is honor. is how do you honor one another? How are you treating one another with this honor and respect and uh, one of the one of my favorite verses in Scripture is Romans twelve ten. It says, "Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself." And and in this in this school environment, knowing that we're all in this community together, we've got to have this corporate relationship with the Lord. And if we're trying to help as a parent, you know, your son or daughter, and as a school leader, your students to own their faith, to become overcomers in this world, and to lead the culture, not not follow the ways of the world, but to lead the culture. If that's what we need to do, we need to work together, and the best way to do that is to show value to one another. Um, And for school leaders, one thing I would say is your biggest stakeholder that you have at your school, yes, it is the student, but more than that, it's the parents. Because the parents, especially in Christian school, they have a, you know, Pat, they don't have to go to that school every day. At, at, you know, the next day, if something goes wrong and they don't feel valued, 
they can change and go to another school. And today, they can homeschool their, their, their children from preschool all the way through college at home, remotely. So they're going to your school, not, I don't think primarily because of the education. Now, that's, that's one component. But the major component is how do you make them feel? Did they feel worthy and valued by you as a school leader? That's really the essence here of value. Um, <clears throat> question five, what are you doing to honor dads at your school? What, why is that important? Ooh, well, man, I'll tell you right there. The way that I see that is, you know, dads, number one, have the, the spiritual authority that God has given them in the home, number one. And, and as you know, everybody works now. Everybody's working out. But, you know, men, we see a lot of things financially. Like, okay, if I'm here, if I'm at this school, my kids are at this school, I want to know that my money is being invested in the right way. And a lot of times, especially in the school system, um, a lot of things are catered more to, to women. And that's not to fault that or say that, you know, that, that's a problem. And a lot of the reason for that is a lot of guys are working nine to five. And so they're, they're focused on work, but really dads need to be a part of that education as well. And, and school leaders kind of need to create a way to do that. And we actually have a program called heroic dads. And what that program does is it, is it, it's a program that we work with schools that will help them to engage the dads in their community, help their dads get involved with the kids at school and at home, to create these fellowship opportunities and service opportunities. And, and when you engage with the dads in your community in the way that we teach you through family and school and through our Heroic Dads program, what happens is you're creating this massive energy, this, this power, because now the dads are on campus. They're engaged in your school, not just for one component of maybe, you know, hey, my, this dad is giving us money, paying for the school, things like that. But no, they're invested, not just financially, but they're invested spiritually and they're invested emotionally with the school leaders and their families and their children. And what happens is what that will do is it creates this transformation in the school. And what kids see is like, wow, my dad is involved. He's engaged. He cares about me. That, Pat, is very, very important, especially today. Our guest, <clears throat> Jeff Jarina, down there in Dallas-Fort Worth, Family and School, the name of his book, we have another segment with Jeff. I want you to stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And you're tuned in to AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. When we return, we're going to have Jeff deal with question number six. How are you dealing with our declining culture? We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Jeff Jarena is our guest in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. We're talking about his book, Family in School, A New Paradigm for Christian Education. And Jeff, as I mentioned before the break, question six, how are you dealing with our declining culture? Well, I'll tell you what, now we're at the break. i got to ask you, Pat, is anything that I'm saying, is it resonating with you? Oh, you're doing marvelous. I mean, this is big-time stuff you're dealing with, Jeff. We're we're all ears. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. Um, And by the way, for all the listeners, Pat's getting on my show on the Men Plug show. He's coming on the show, so um, that's coming up in a couple weeks. But, um, you know, the way that we see it, we put this in our book, and it's just a very simple statement. Culture is our faith made visible. And so when we look at this from, from the perspective of a school and families, how are we dealing with that? 
you know, are we creating a culture of life around the Lord's presence, meaning building an environment where everyone is encouraged to become all that God designed them to be? Um, that's part of that. And when we're talking about that, about this authentic Christian culture, Pat, our hope is that through this book, Family and School, and what we do in our family and school community, which anybody can go there at familyandschool.com, we're hoping here that, that this Christian culture at a school, that it, what it will do is children will experience an in indefinable spiritual environment unlike any other they've known. And when outsiders are looking in, whether it's um, somebody who is a prospective family that maybe is coming to your school or maybe somebody who's heard about your school, or maybe it's a, somebody else who is thinking about supporting your school, um, these outsiders, when they think about your school, do they experience an indescribable goodness about the place, about your school, and a warmth and excitement about your school that they're not going to want to leave? And when they compare that with the culture, they look at it and they say, you know what, this is a place that builds me up. It motivates me. It encourages me. And it helps me to grow in my faith. That's really what we're talking about here. Question seven for you, Jeff. How does your school intend to produce overcomers? Now, what does that mean? Well, I talked a little bit about it earlier um, in the interview here, Pat. But the way that the way that we see overcomers, especially as it comes to as as it, as we're, pertains to students, is let's be honest. It's easy to be swayed by the culture. It's easy to be swayed by external influences. And a lot of times it's, it's you know, it's, it's patterns, it's thoughts, it's ideas, it's activities that aren't, you know, uplifting, that aren't honorable, that aren't, you know, that, that aren't going to lead them in the right way for in terms of good choices. So overcomer is, especially at a Christian school or any school, we should be teaching um, the students Oh, we should be our children how to overcome those messages, how to overcome the negativity, how to overcome um, things in this culture, the messaging, whatever, whatever. I mean, we could, there, the list could go on, Pat. This, this, uh, this is a totally different episode for sure on that. But how, do you, how are you teaching them to overcome the world so that they can own their faith and not just own it, but live in a way that they're saying, hey, this is my faith, I'm going to stand strong and, f- and firm in it, and how can I move on and lead the culture? And, and I, I come back to this again, not follow, but lead. And, and, and Pat, there's probably a lot of things that we could talk about here in terms of leading, but if we all led in a way we owned our faith, I, I think in, a, in many ways, our school systems would be taking that charge. And we see the Christian school as the backbone, or it should be the backbone of our education system today. Christian schools should be the backbone of that. They should be the foundation. Now, uh, Jeff, it's time to move. Question eight. How are you helping students live out their God-given design? That's important, Mm. isn't it? It is very important. Um, I'm sure you you can relate with that a lot. Seeing a lot of the the guys that have come down that you've worked with, especially those professional athletes. You know, a lot of times as parents, I'm just going to speak here now as a dad. I have two kids, Pat, um, and obviously have, have done a lot with schools, consulted, coached, and things like that. The tendency, a lot of times, and I'm going to speak here personally, Pat. The tendency for me is with my kids is to, is to lead them the way that I want to lead them, the, the, what I think is the best. But at the end of the day, that's not their design, what I call bent. That is not their bent. And so what I have to do as a parent and what we have to do as school leaders is we have to lead the, that child, the, that student, in a way that God has designed them specifically. So, for instance, my daughter is very good at acting. She's just amazing at it, just just really good at acting. So she does a lot of acting stuff. And, Pat, I'm trying to get her into now big-time movie productions. 
And um, what she what she is okay at is sports, but she doesn't like to do it. And part of your their design is you can see it readily. What do they love to do? What do they love to talk about? What comes naturally to them? And that's something that she's really good at is acting. Now, if I try to get her into coaching her into sports, which I did before, she gets frustrated because that's not really her bent. She's okay at it, but that's not her design. So part of this is, are you leaving them in their design? Is Are you pushing in the way that God is asking them to go, where that child is really excels at and does it naturally? Or are you trying to force them in this, you know, this square peg in a round hole that they don't fit, but you want them to go? Now, if you can see that they're, this is the way that God has wired them, that this is their design, and you can actually support that, what happens is what we've seen is that child just flourishes in that and then ends up going, you know what? My mom, my dad, my teachers see this. This is how God has wired me, and they, they value that. And what, what that does to this, the child is they just grow, and they realize, hey, my mom or my dad love me. My teacher, they find value in me. And so that's part of this idea of, you know, I would say um, inspiring or really directing your child um, according to God's design. Now it's time for question number nine. My guest is Jeff Jarena. Here it is, Jeff. Are you, are you confident that your students can change their culture? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that's a question right here that I think is um, parents we would have and school leaders would have. And, and, and that's a question that we really have to ask because part of going to school now is to not just prepare them for a subject or like math or biology or history, whatever that is, but to prepare them for life not just now getting out of high school, but going forward in the rest of their life, whether it's college, whether it's the military, whether it's full-time work, whatever that is, are they going to be able to, to live out and lead in this culture? And so here's a question. I'm, we're going to ask a question. This is a question that we have in the book. This is for school leaders to consider. Here's the question. Is there a consistent culture throughout your school, meaning in the classroom, on the athletic fields, and other activities that celebrates and honors the virtues that make up moral character? And we talk a lot about virtues, Pat, in the family and school community. Um, a lot of, like, just specifically a virtue today. This is one that I think um, parents and school leaders can think about. Are you preparing or teaching or, or molding your child or, and, and or student to take initiative in the world, not to just sit back and be passive, but take initiative with their ideas or, or whatever that is to say, hey, you know what, I've got an idea, maybe this would work better. And it doesn't mean that people can accept that idea or be readily gung-ho to, to go ahead and do that, but at least they're trying. And they're trying to make um, a... Um, What's the word I'm looking for, Pat? They're trying to make a contribution that's their own and not just be followers. So that is really um, part of what we're talking about here, this last question. And I hope, I hope Pat, what I shared, I hope, I hope it made sense. I know there's a lot more details here that we can iron out, but I'm hoping it kind of gave school leaders, teachers, coaches, and, and parents some things to think about in how they can – really help to build up their schools, their families, and help to, um, to lead their children in a way that God has designed them to go. Jeff, what impact have you seen this book is having? Well, I could tell you just, just the, so far that since the book has been out and we, we've done some presentations and conferences and what we see now internally in the family and school community through the discussions, the, the other trainings that we have uh, for schools and parents and all these different things, what we're seeing is 
is number one, I think the biggest thing, I would say the first thing that a lot of people are catching right away is they're, they're looking at the, the value component, Pat. They're realizing that, hey, as a school, this is how I can value my parents. And realizing that parents are really vital to this whole thing, that you're not really um, – the number one thing here is as a school, what they're realizing is the number one thing here is that their number one customer – is the parents. That's the number one thing. And if the, that customer, the parents, don't feel valued, they don't feel honored, then they're going to go to a different business. They're going to choose a different product. They're going to choose a different service. And, Pat, I think we see that today. And, and I, you know, one of the things I, I let um, school leaders know is that when there's a prospective family coming to your school, they know more about your school than most of your staff members do. Jeff Carina has been our guest and a good one. Uh, the book, Family in School, A New Paradigm for Christian Education. Thanks for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We've run out of time, but we're back next weekend for more right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Have a great week ahead. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.